Welcome to the Bob Harden Show. We'll be starting the show in just a few moments. Almost can't go out at all. And uh, there's not even like little towns, little cities right above. Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoy life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. A little confusion here in today's show because Mark Schulman has a TV interview. He's going to be on the show in just a little while. I recorded his interview uh, doing all this stuff is a little bit above my pay grade, so I'm uh, afraid it's all a little bit confused, but nevertheless, we're going to try and work it out during the course of the show. In any event, he is in uh, Tel Aviv, and uh, literally, I mean, rockets are coming down, and uh, it should be such an interesting interview if I'm able to play it. I'm quite certain I will be able to, hopefully, the entire narrative, because, uh, again, he's right in the middle of everything that's going on there in Tel Aviv in Israel. Uh, we'll also visit with, by the way, he's the uh, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, and uh, he writes for Newsweek and a number of other publications. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about Joe Biden knows Jim Crow very well. And we'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His latest two are Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries located right there in Washington, D.C. It is May the 17th and on this day in 1954, in a major civil rights victory, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a unanimous decision in Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka, ruling that racial segregation at public education facilities is unconstitutional. The historic decision, which brought an end to federal tolerance of racial segregation, specifically dealt with Linda Brown, a young African-American girl who had been denied admission to her local elementary school in Topeka, Kansas, because of the color of her skin. In 19, excuse me, 1896, the Supreme Court ruled in Plessy v. Ferguson that separate but equal accommodations in railroad cars conformed to the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection. That ruling was used to justify segregating all public facilities, including elementary schools. However, in the case of Linda Brown, the white school she attempted to attend was far superior to her black alternative and miles closer to her home. The National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NCAACP, took up Linda's cause, and in 1954, Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka reached the Supreme Court. African-American lawyer and future Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall led Brown's legal team, and on May the 17th, 1954, the High Court handed down its decision. In an opinion written by Chief Justice Earl Warren, the nation's highest court ruled that not only was a separate but equal doctrine unconstitutional in Linda's case, it was unconstitutional in all cases because of educational segregation stamped an inherent badge of inferiority on African-American students. 
year later, after hearing arguments on the implementation of their ruling, the Supreme Court published guidelines requiring public school systems to integrate with all deliberate speed. Brown versus Board of Education served to great, greatly motivate the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s and ultimately led to the abolishment of racial segregation in all public facilities and accommodations. Now we're seeing through identity politics the whole reversal of this thing. If the color of your skin is white, well, then you have privilege. and You should have shame. Well, if you're selling your home right now, you're probably pretty darn happy. Frustrated buyers, bidding wars, quick, quick sales, record prices, low inventory, frenzied open houses, virtual showings, happy sellers. It's all going on right now. Just These are just some of the reverberations from the white-hot housing market in Southwest Florida. The market has sizzled for a year, and after taking an early hit from the coronavirus pandemic scare, resulting in a brief pause that lasted for a matter of weeks, Busy season only fanned the flames of demand. Even as busy season subsides, uh, demand persists. Like oh, no other, the current housing market is fueled by part by the pandemic, a part a pandemic that has driven more Americans to less crowded areas, such as Naples and Fort Myers. And this is different than what happened in 2006, however. This is not driven by speculation. People are not buying to flip. People are buying to live in the homes that they're buying, which is... Uh, probably going to keep this thing moving quite a bit. It's a real pleasant uh, thought for somebody living in a 1,500-square-foot uh, or 900-square-foot home up in New York City that uh, costs uh, $1.5 million to move down here and find out how much home you can buy. So this is kind of the reverse sticker shock, if you will. And it all works to the benefit of those that are buying as well as those uh, that are selling. Harvey Golub is the uh, former president and CEO of American Express Company. He also was a uh, president of American Express Financial Advisors, and a great leader. I really appreciated working with Harvey. But I found this on Facebook from Harvey Golub. Uh, Joe Biden came into office with a huge tailwind. The economy had two successive quarters of substantial economic growth. COVID-related unemployment was declining. International conditions were calm. Project Warp Speed and Big Pharma created two approved vaccines with two more on the way. An inoculation of American public had begun with one million vaccinated each day and plans to in place to increase that number. Our southern border was secure with few illegals crossing each day. All he had to do was, quote unquote, nothing, and he'd get all the credit. But Joe managed to screw it up every single positive condition. <laughs> Absolutely amazing, said Harvey Gollum. Really appreciate that. In just 103 words, he summed up everything that's happened in the first four months of uh, this president's administration. So what happened to almighty Dr. Fauci? Last week he was on TV telling all of us that life wouldn't be get back to normal for at least another year or so. This week he's pretty much gone. So what happened? Well, a lot. Actually, the biggest turn for Fauci involved three little words, gain of function. It was this past week when the gain-of-function dots were publicly connected to the good doctor. This is nothing new for those of us on the, on the right. Right here on the show, we've been covering this for months, and the evidence against him is very damning. A couple of months ago, Fox News host Steve Hilton blew the lid off of Fauci's macabre obsession, and uh, funding of research involved the manipulation of highly contagious viruses. Hilton laid the groundwork, but it was Senator Rand Paul who called out Fauci in his ghoulish research base 
to face uh, during a uh, Senate hearing. Dr. Fauci turned to weasel out of it, tried to weasel out of it, I should say, and uh, flat out lied to Senator Paul, but Rand wouldn't be deterred. Later, he proved Fauci was a liar in a tweet that went viral. And if that wasn't bad enough for the good doctor, Tucker later, Tucker Carlson, went after Fauci and called for an investigation into his past research. And things just kept on getting work for, worse for Dr. Fauci. Rand Paul appeared on Fox News saying, Dr. Paul, Dr. Fauci, could potentially be responsible for the coronavirus pandemic. Those are pretty serious words. It was heavy stuff, and it had an impact because we've hardly seen or heard from Dr. Fauci since. But even more notable is that CDC just updated their guidelines on mask wearing and essentially ended the pandemic, a pandemic that Fauci had been the proud face over for over a year. And when that announcement hit, he was nowhere to be found. And his absence didn't go unnoticed. Yes, indeed, you'd think that Fauci would have been front and center to discuss the CDC's new guidance uh, the moment it hit, the golden boy taking yet another victory lap. After all, Fauci never missed an opportunity in the spotlight, but he was not hitting the airways with the typical fanfare. He did crawl out of his woodwork late in the day to uh, make one disastrous comment about kids in masks. In other words, kids should continue to wear them. And speaking of the CDC's new guidelines that lift uh, the mask mandate and social distancing, this incredible new move comes on the heels of April's ghastly jobs report, and most notably the heavy scrutiny of Fauci's gain-of-function research. Newsmax reported that Emerald Robertson believed that canceling of COVID had to do with the Dems' collapsing poll numbers. That could be true as well. Best guess is that COVID cancellation is a culmination of several things. April's jobs report, Fauci's scandal, and Democrat poll numbers. Otherwise, you'd have to believe all of this is just crazy coincidence, and of course, there is no coincidence. But as we know, no coincidences in politics. So chances are of the CDC moving, uh, being a piece in, in much bigger puzzle are pretty darn good. The biggest question now is, what will happen to Dr. Fauci? Did Tucker and Rand tag team Fauci to force the Dems to end the pandemic? Or are they out for blood and regrouping as we speak? Time will tell. But I have a hunch that there'll be more bombshells in Fauci's future. What do you think? You don't hear from him now. I think uh, the Democrats have thrown him under the bus. Well, 80% of Republicans agree that the GOP's ouster last week of Representative Liz Cheney from her House leadership role, while 66% say Republicans are being loyal to former President Donald Trump, is important. This is an NBC News poll. Of the 80% that said Cheney should have been ousted, 69% said they agreed that the uh, Republicans' removal, because of she's not on message with the party, 57% said it was because she's wrong about the 2020 presidential election, 52% said it was because she did, did not support Trump, and 34% said it's a sign that disloyalty will be punished, a reference to a challenging Trump and his quote-unquote lies surrounding the presidential election. The poll found that 89% think that the GOP should follow Trump's example on economic issues. 88% said that about the same about his immigration issues. And 80% about his leadership. 77% on how he treated the media. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, so the polls right now, the American people are behind what happened with Cheney. And Lisa uh, as well. So this is all good stuff. By the way, the poll was conducted between May, May the 12th and 
14th and with about a 3 to 5.5 percent error possibility. 53 percent said the GOP should prioritize getting more voters with policies and ideas in the strategy for winning elections, while 47 percent said the party should push for changes to the state voting rule. So interesting. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by... Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Uh, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Okay, this is all going to be very interesting. I'm going to play a commercial break. And coming back, uh, we're going to listen to the interview that I did this morning at 6.30 with Mark Schulman. If all goes well, we're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harton, the host of the Bob Harton Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I served as board chairman for 15 years, the first, first 15 years of its uh, existence, and now they're off building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. Very proud of their achievements, and I hope you'll visit the website, uh, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Uh, all right, this is a, the, kind of a moment of truth right now. I interviewed Mark Schulman earlier. He's in Tel Aviv. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. And uh, 
uh, I had to save the interview, then I had to post it and all kinds of things. So it's <laughs> we'll see if this works out, but it's a very interesting interview because, as I mentioned, he's right in Tel Aviv with all the bombing going on. So let's see if this works. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you'll download the app. It's choicesocial.us. Uh, coming up, we're going to ver- visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Mark. Are you there? I'm there now. I can hear you for a second. Are you there, Mark? Yes, I am. Do you hear me? Yes, I do. Do you hear me? Yes, I do. Now I do. Okay. Uh, Mark, I'm talking to Mark uh, from Tel Aviv, and uh, this should be a very interesting conversation because he's right in the uh, center of everything that's going on in the Middle East. Mark, again, I really appreciate you joining us today. So let's just... Yeah, my pleasure. I hope we don't get interrupted by a, by a missile attack because eh, it's getting close now. Because wow. a little while ago, it seems we killed one of the leaders of the Islamic Jihad, that's the Islamic terrorist group, one of the ones that are in Gaza, and we killed him about uh, 20 minutes ago. So there's an expectation they're going to try to retaliate. They're now hitting rockets at Ashdod, which is about 20 miles south of us. Wow. So if we get interrupted, you'll... Live, live radio. <laughs> Absolutely, Mark. You know, this is just incredible what's going on. I mean, uh, my, my sense is that uh, the the uh, Hamas has been emboldened. I mean, it, what is the correct course of action right now? It seems to me that uh, Israel, Israel is showing tremendous restraint with regard to the bombing and just trying to target Hamas locations where they can. But wouldn't this be a point, instead of a, looking for some sort of a ceasefire, to just go for all-out victory? Well, the problem with all-out victory is what does that mean? In other words, all-out victory, first of all, means sending in ground troops. Sending in ground troops, of course, is a very, um, you know, it's costly. It can cost a lot of lives of soldiers sending ground troops. And B, the problem becomes, and then what? Yeah. You know, we reconquer the Gaza Strip, and who do we give it to? No one ever wanted the Gaza Strip. Egypt never wanted it. No one wanted it. Are we going to stay in there and send in... 30,000 occupying troops to occupy it. Yeah, it, it, it's a real problem because there's no easy solution. Right. Um, so yes, obviously one could, you know, our tanks and everything else could come in and, and you know capture all of Gaza. But the big problem is what happens afterwards, and that's why this is a terrible situation in a sense. There isn't. There are no really good options. Yeah. And um, you know, as long as they have power. They're going to keep on doing this because their goal is to eliminate the state of Israel. They don't have the power to do it now. And as some idiots on the far left have been saying, and some of them aren't even that far left, well, they can't kill, they can't destroy you, so why should you care? I mean, the most, worst, worst thing was uh, Trevor North, I don't know, on The Daily Show, who compared this to when his little cousins would come over, four-year-olds, and punch him in the stomach, and his mother would say, well, they can't really hurt you, so you don't really have to hit them back. So, you know, last night, uh, those things are, are really pretty, pretty crazy, to say the least. Ron Dermer. Um, Ron, to, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I was just going to give you a, a, and your listeners a brief uh, chronology of the events that took place until now and the last, how we got here, let's put it this way, in this round. 
Perfect. And um, a few little vignettes of my experiences, which have been interesting in the last couple of days. Thank you, Mark. So um, this whole thing actually started, I, I would call this, if this ever ends up being called a war, it would be called the TikTok war. It all started um, because a group of Arab youth, after this is the month of Ramadan until two days ago, um, were sitting and attacking, not to kill, but, you know, to attack, to throw water on, to throw coffee on, to do all sorts of things. Um, Israeli Jews, as they left the old city of Jerusalem, and they would post them to TikTok, and they were competing who could get the most likes on TikTok for attacking Jews. And so, as a result, the Israeli police closed off the area, which was an area that, particularly during Ramadan, the Arabs in East Jerusalem liked using, and it began a series of of um, confrontations. Those confrontations got escalated, and they escalated um, to confrontations on the Temple Mount itself, uh, where there were rioting going on, and they were throwing rocks down below. The Israeli police, um, in my opinion, sort of sort of ignored it to some extent, but instead they they burst into the Al-Aqsa Mosque and used tear gas or uh, smoke grenades to, to bring control of the rioting. They weren't peaceful prayers taking place with literally rioting, there was probably a miscalculation. Uh, they should have just left them alone, and I, in my opinion, that's a different story. So then comes Hamas, and as a complete surprise, this was less, This was probably two hours after we got off the phone uh, on the on our radio on this radio show last Monday. They announced a two-hour deadline for Israel to remove its uh, police from the Temple Mount and a few other demands, or else they were going to fire missiles at Israel. Uh, we all in Tel Aviv thought the missiles were going to be coming to Tel Aviv, um, but they surprised and fired the missiles towards Jerusalem. Um, and that began um, began this war, or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Um, the last couple of days, I mean, the second day of the war, the second night, uh, they fired on Tel Aviv. Um, I was out at that particular moment um, in a big, big public square. The sirens first went off, um, and I managed to run to a nearby apartment building and go inside um, to take shelter. Um, and then for about oh, 10 minutes, all you could hear above was the explosions of the interceptors going up and intercepting the incoming missiles, and you could hear the missiles, the interceptors going off, taking off. Mm. Um, that lasted about um, 10 minutes. The all-clear siren came on, and I... Um, Headed home, but before I could even get home, there was a second a, a second round. I took shelter in the back of a Japanese restaurant. The owner pushed us all to the kitchen and the bathroom in the back because the front restaurant was a big plate glass window. Um, and then there was a third round. And this has gone on um, different times of the day. Um, two days ago, my son was at the beach with a friend, and um, he went off. He wasn't on the beach itself, but he was near the beach walking with a friend. And there was a rocket in the middle of the afternoon that was middle of uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, there have been multiple times in the middle of the night. And so um, that, you know, people, a lot of people have not gotten much sleep over the last couple of days, even when there isn't been a rocket attack. Yeah. Now, what's happening in Tel Aviv is nothing compared to what's happening to people down south. People down south who live close to the Gaza border are getting hundreds of rockets a day being shot at them. Uh, they basically almost can't go out at all. And um, it's not even like little town, little cities right above. It's 
relatively large cities like Ashkelon, which has about, um, I think it has about 100 and something thousand people, and Ashdod, which is a major port, which has almost 300,000 people, I think, or more, um, they're getting hit much more often because they, they have more rockets in sort of range. And so the question becomes, Israel's been retaliating, it's been attacking the, the site, it's been attacking leadership of Hamas and of the jihad, Islamic Jihad. Um, but as we've learned, you know, we've only done it from the air and uh, whatever minor activities on the ground, and there's a limit to what you can do. You know, as the United States runs in Vietnam, and it's, almost every army has learned, the Air Force can always make all sorts of promises, but never can really fulfill on those promises completely. So they've been bombing the uh, so, the tunnels and uh, hopefully making progress. But I have a big, I mean, there's a big attempt uh, two days ago to destroy their tunnel network. And the goal is to try to destroy the tunnel network with as many of them underneath as possible. There have been various reports to how successful, in other words, it was very successful in destroying the tunnel network. Um, how many people they trapped, no one knows for sure, because Hamas hasn't even begun to, to try to... Uh, get those people out who are, who are in the tunnel. So we don't have the answer to that question. So interesting. Now, you you attribute this to the TikTok uh, episode. Uh, I, I'm wondering about how much this might have to do with, uh, I believe, uh, of course, one premise is that Hamas doesn't care about the Palestinians. They use them as shields. Uh, number two is that... Look, the Palestinians, look, the Hamas wanted to... The Hamas it competes with the Palestinian Authority for control of the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Palestinian Authority was going to have an election, and it became clear that Hamas might win, so they called off the election. So to some extent, this whole attack was a response to, to, to that calling off of an election. They wanted to get back into the, into the thoughts of the Palestinian people, say that we're the ones who are truly defending you. And so that's part of the reason this is all taking place. Uh, domestic, we'll call it domestic, Palestinian needs relating to Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, but, you know, we, we came in the middle, so to speak. So, um... So the other, the other premise you know, is that... That's where it stands at the moment. The question is, how do you bring it to an end? Yeah. It makes any sense. Um, you know, people don't understand on some... <coughs> on some levels, you know, we're doing much better, obviously, than they are, because we have this tremendous uh, system called Iron Dome, which is over 90% effective in knocking down missiles. It's the only... The only system in the world that does that, and as a result, only very few of the missiles get through. But just now, I see a notification on my watch that a missile got through in Ashdod, that's a city twenty miles south of us, and directly hit a house. Oh. I don't know yet whether anyone was hurt because the ninety. If you think about it, ninety percent effectiveness means that ten percent get through. Right. Yeah. There's so a bit higher. Twenty rockets. Yeah, this going to make it through. Oh, yeah, there's 1,500 mo- rockets, as I understand, that have been uh, launched uh, by Hamas. So uh, 10% of that's a big number. And uh, the other premise is that this is all being funded uh, by Iran. Could you comment? Um, yes and no. I mean, surely it's in Iran's interest. Surely Iran has a, a long uh, list of reasons they want to attack us in terms of some of the things that we've done to the nuclear program. Um, the Islamic Jihad is the one that is funded mostly by Iran, while Hamas much less so. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the Iranians have been helping Hamas. I mean, there were various cases over the years where ships were intercepted and shipments were intercepted of, of arms that was being smuggled from Iran to Hamas. So clearly, Iran is behind a lot of the mischief, whether they're directly behind this, you know, this set of operations 
something we don't know. Um, maybe at some point we will know, but we don't know that at the moment. Yeah. Um, so it, it's hard to know those things. But look, um, Hamas' goal is the elimination of the state of Israel. That's quite clearly the state. When they came to power, the quartet of well, that was quartet was made of the United States, the EU, uh, Russia, and Great Britain. And um, they basically said to Hamas, you want to be recognized, you want to have relations, you want Israel to continue to allow goods in and out, you have to uh, give up your, your confidence that says you're going to destroy Israel and accept previous agreements that existed. They refused any of those things. And so the quartet said that they remain a terrorist organization. Um, and they are. And so, but they run the government in, in Gaza. So it's a particularly difficult situation in that sense. Yeah, so... And, of course, we're in this crazy situation. The, um, you know, the, far, the Biden administration has been quite uh, supportive up till now in terms of Israel. On the other hand, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, uh, so to speak, the squad and a few additional people there, have been more than a little bit problematic, and, of course, they're exerting pressure on the Biden administration. Yeah. You wouldn't want to see the tweets that that some of the members of the squad have been issuing in the last couple of days. Well, my understanding is that we've seen anti-Semitism break out across, around the world, actually, as a result of all this. Well, right, there's always a, this always happens. I mean, every time Israel takes action, uh, this always happens. Uh, Listen, look, a picture of a dead Palestinian child is a real problem. I mean, you know, I feel bad for this child, obviously, and for the parents and everything else. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at it, according to the Palestinians, about 20 kids have been killed. Now, we don't even know how many of them were killed by their own launches, because about 20% of their rockets end up landing inside of Gaza huh. uh, and fail, or fail to launch completely and land, launch back up in, in, in the area that they were sent, and killing people. But even so, look, the numbers of Every life is important. There's no question about that. But the numbers are so small relatively to the amount of ordnance uh, that Israel has, has, has launched. I mean, every single bomb has been a smart bomb. Every single bomb, it seems, until now, you still have some sort of a problem, but has hit its target. And when pilots have seen children or anything else, they've called off, called off the attack. Uh, it doesn't mean it's perfect, um, but it's as best as it can be. It's war. Yeah. Was a terrible thing, you know. Um, was a terrible thing. Now, yeah. I, on top of that, you know, one of the other side issues has been some of the uh, fighting that has gone on. Uh, fighting would be too long. The rioting has gone on within within the state of Israel between Arabs and Jews, and that's been a terrible consequence. Yeah, I'm actually right now in Jaffa, which is one of the sites of it. So I'm just walking away. to some gentlemen walking down the stairs screaming. I have no idea half-naked and screaming, so I'm going to move a little bit. <laughs> oh, so, um, Ron Dermer was, uh, is an American-born Israeli. He's a political consultant diplomat who served in, as the Israeli ambassador to the United States. Very articulate guy. He was on the Mark Levin show last night, and it was very informative. But he pointed out that if, in fact, we wanted, if uh, Israeli wanted to, they could have killed tens of thousands of Palestinians up to this point, but they've been very surgical in terms of their approach, trying not to harm, you know, have collateral damage. I just wonder if you can actually have a war. I mean, since the Vietnam War, it's been a war of, uh, you know, you don't necessarily fight it to win, you fight it just to stay engaged. And I guess that's what's happening here. 
Look, they've been, they've been, they're, since the Vietnam War, I mean, think about the war in Afghanistan. Right. Uh, it's more than a little bit, well, sounds a bird now on top of everything else. Okay. Uh, the fact of the matter is that um, there, you know, every war has its terrible collateral damage. Right. And, uh, you know, think of Afghanistan, all the cases, and not to mention Iraq. Hold on a second. So. There are no easy solutions, I'm afraid. That's that's the problem. There's no easy solution. The goal of the Israeli government at the moment is to say to make the price of this attack so high that they'll wait many years before they do it again. Uh, Will that work? I don't know. Yeah. Um, on top of everything else, there's the political issues in Israel. We will one day, literally one day, and this of course brings a lot of questions up. One day short of a new government that would not have included uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. They were ready to present a new government, and then this, this took place. So, of course, there are plenty of conspiracy theories related to this as well, as you can imagine. Yeah, so interesting. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We're recording this interview early, by the way, because Mark is off to a TV interview. But uh, it's just uh, really a privilege, Mark, to have you on the show, everything that's going on. And again, I want to point My out... My pleasure, and I'm glad we got through the show without an air siren. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mark. And again... The name of the website is HistoryCentral.com, HistoryCentral.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Well, I can't tell you what a sense of relief I have that all, <laughs> that all happened the way it's supposed to because uh, literally 30 seconds before going on air, I was just trying to figure out how this was all going to work. But it worked, so I'm so pleased, and I'm so pleased you were able to listen to Mark's point of view as he's uh, right there in Tel Aviv having that experience. I found it so interesting. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. 
with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. So tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are an educational organization funded uh, privately through contributions, and our focus is on high school and college students. We try to uh, educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private enterprise, and personal character. We do that through our website, which is fee.org and also through uh, events all over the country and abroad. So uh, fee.org is the website. Again, it's a great organization. I hope you'll uh, mention it to anybody who's college or high school age. Uh, get them involved. It's a terrific organization. So, Larry, uh, we had this debacle with regard to election law change in Georgia, and uh, the accusation of Jim Crow came up. This is just old Jim Crow. Well, uh, you wrote a column. Jim, Joe Biden knows Jim Crow very well. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, In uh, earlier this year, uh, Georgia passed a new election integrity law that tightened things up. It actually added a day for early voting. It did nothing to restrict access to the polls. Uh, but Joe Biden responded by saying that it was Jim Crow on steroids, yeah. which uh, is just absolutely uh, absurd. Uh, he fails to uh, understand, although I think deep down he really does, uh, what Jim Crow was all about. Jim Crow, for decades, uh, mostly in southern states, but also uh, elements of it were present in the north as well, Jim Crow was a series of legal uh, prohibitions on the uh, interaction of the races. Uh, it included laws and ordinances at the state and local level across the country that uh, regulated um, everything from who could use what restrooms to uh, where people could sit on a bus, that kind of thing, and all designed to hold, black, uh, hold down the black race uh, and uh, elevate uh, whites. Uh, that was done by law, uh, and people who opposed it, in fact, uh, and countermanded it were often uh, either arrested or intimidated into complying with it. Well, that has nothing to do with the election integrity law that we passed here. And the reason I say Joe Biden knows better is that uh, some of his best friends have been Jim Crow advocates. He was uh, 
uh, a great admirer of Senate Majority Leader Robert Byrd of West Virginia, who was elected exalted cyclops of his local Ku Klux Klan chapter. I mean, <laughs> this uh, is just a ridiculous uh, thing. And, it, and Joe Biden is counting on Americans not really knowing um, what he's talking about. Right. So interesting. I, it just happens that today is the anniversary of uh, the event in 1954 when the U.S. Supreme Court handed down the unanimous decision regarding uh, Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka. So uh, that was Jim Crow back then. And, of course, uh, the decision went uh, a long way to start to rectify that, what, what happened in the 50s or 60s. Yeah, and uh, the, the Democratic Party, unfortunately, has taken the position today that any election reform that uh, uh, improves the integrity of the electoral process is a bad thing for them. And anything that uh, makes it more likely to um, uh, to cheat or to uh, uh, just mess with the system is good for them. And so, uh, if they had their way, we would just be mailing out uh, uh, ballots to uh, anybody on the voter rolls, whether they were cleaned up or not, and allowing uh, partisan groups to harvest them and turn them in uh, and. Uh, it's effectively stuffed the ballot box. Right. I mean, they're not interested in election integrity. Well, in fact, this HR one is pretty. Uh, it's nefarious bill that's uh, being pushed through right now. But uh, quite frankly, it's great to see certain states stand up and say no that we're going to make our own laws. And of course, in my view, it's the Constitution is pretty clear on who makes the decisions with regard to elections. It's the states. Exactly. What the Democrats want to do with HR one is to effectively nationalize elections and mandate to the states that they do it this way and not that way and not designed uh, to broaden the franchise or make it fairer but quite the opposite right uh, they want to rig the system so that uh, they can't lose and that's a danger to uh, uh, any democratic republic when one party uh, figures that it has enough power to bake itself uh, into the uh, system as the number one party for generations to come. Right, so that now the worm has turned, so to speak, because right now it's uh, white fragility and, uh, you know, identity uh, politics is very much dependent upon skin color. And now uh, it's time to oppress the whites, so to speak. At least that's part of the politics of the Democrat Party right now. You had uh, cited a couple of readings, which I think were quite interesting in your column. Maybe you could tell us about it. Uh, you had mentioned, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I could barely hear you. I'm so sorry, uh, Larry. The, uh, you, you mentioned a couple of uh, books, a couple of uh, readings that we should pay attention to in, in your column. Oh, yes. Uh, Bill Steigerwald is a good friend of mine, and for 40 years he was a prominent journalist for newspapers in Los Angeles and Pittsburgh. He wrote a book called 30 Days, a Black Man. It's powerful, uh, and it's all about uh, the true-to-life story of a Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reporter named Ray Spriggle, uh, a white guy who uh, uh, tanned himself so uh, heavily that he could pass as a black man and spent 30 days uh, in the South um, back in 1948 uh, experiencing a little bit of what uh, blacks had to endure in the Jim Crow part of the country. And it really is a revealing um, uh, book that you won't be able to put down. True story. Yeah. 30 Days of Black Man. Uh, and then if you want to know more about the uh, broader history of um, 
uh, Jim Crow. There's a great book uh, also by, uh, oh, his name escapes me at the moment. Oh, oh uh, Packard. I uh, forgot his first name. Called Bill, American Bill Packard? Nightmare. Gerald Packard. Gerald Packard. American Nightmare. It's a history of Jim Crow, and it's uh, quite good as well. Yeah, it reminds me, there was a book also, Black Like Me, if I'm not mistaken, in the 60s that uh, had a similar theme. Yeah, that was uh, uh, well-received in its time, too. It's been a while since I've read that, so I, but I, I recall having a favorable uh, impression. Yeah, so how's, how's history going to, uh, how do you think that history is going to judge all this that's going on right now? How do I think who? How do you think history will judge everything that's uh, going on right now? Uh, well, I think history, uh, when the passions have died down, at some point we're going to look back and say, this, this was really ridiculous. And by calling election integrity laws Jim Crow on steroids, we were trivializing a very uh, uh, harmful and uh, sad chapter in American history that we thought we'd put behind us. But uh, Democrats keep liking to bring it up uh, and pinning the label racist on the other party, even though they have historically been the party of Jim Crow. Jim Crow was a Democratic Party project. Now, and in the bigger picture, don't you think that projection plays a big, big role in everything that's going on right now? You just take a look at the, the uh, nefarious activities of the Democrat Party, and then they start pointing their finger at the Republicans and say, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, it's... A- <laughs> it's a, it's something that uh, we as little children used to do, as I recall, where we knew we were guilty, but we tried to pass it off on uh, the next kid by pointing at him and say, "No, he did it." Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> but in fact, it wasn't him at all. Yeah, well, it's, it, acting like little kids is about what it, what it looks like right now. Again, yeah. uh, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, I encourage you to take a look at the website fee f e e dot org fee dot org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Sorry, I had uh, a little trouble with Larry hearing me for some reason. Uh, That's happened a couple of times. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg. He's a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired a couple of years, and he's been writing books. He's a couple of great murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C. The first is Follow the Leader, and the sequel is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, it's uh, fabulous to be on, Bob. Um, Thank you so much. And, uh, I've been reading the headlines. You look at the uh, casualties uh, in uh, Gaza, 42 dead, and then I uh, peruse the U.S. papers, and you look at the uh, shootouts in Philadelphia and Chicago, and it, it's, uh, uh, you know, there are 1,500 dead, I think, in Chicago, so a year, and uh, Philadelphia is on the road for 500 dead this year. Unbelievable. Uh, this is, yeah, I, I think this is a symptom of uh, going overboard in, uh, you know, we want to weed uh, bad cops out of the police force, but uh, we've really reduced policing in big cities. Well, and not only that, but I, you just take a look at what's happening in big cities that have decided to send social workers instead of police <laughs> or sheriff's officers to to a, a crime scene or to a, a situation. Uh, and murders, crime, are just uh, car thefts are just escalating like crazy. And uh, I think it demonstrates pretty how important the police are. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, the cities have become like the Wild West. And, uh, I just moved from uh, uh, inside the Beltway to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But inside the Beltway... Uh, one of my neighbors is a uh, retired FBI agent named Scott Harper. And Scott's son, Chris Harper, is also, he's a special agent with the uh, FBI who was uh, almost killed in a shootout in December eight, 2018. Mm. And the story of that shootout, I just think, drives home how dangerous our society has become. And uh, uh, Chris was on a stakeout. And he, he in Canarsie area of Brooklyn, and he pulled his car up in front of a house and not realizing that it was a suspected uh, drug house. And, uh, it, you know, the stakeouts can be very boring, and he's FaceTiming with, with his wife. And it's a one-way street, by the way. A, a, a BMW comes down the street the wrong way and parks next to Chris. And, a, a, and Chris is, is a white guy. A large black man gets out of the uh, BMW and starts walking to Chris's car, and he has a hoodie on, and he has his hand in his pocket. And Chris, Chris's radar goes off and says he has a gun. 
And Chris knows that if he pulls his own gun and engages in a shootout, he's going to be dead because the guy has the drop on him. So Chris starts his car to get out of there. So he's, he's driving down the street, and this uh, perpetrator named Rennell Watson, who, who turns out to be a member of the Crips, hmm. a, a gang, shoots and hits Chris in the back. He breaks a rib, breaks a shoulder blade, and the bullet lodges in Chris's uh, left lung. Oof. And he feels like he's eating to death, so when he gets to the corner, he can't drive anymore. He, he feels he might black out, so he stops the car. But, he, but Watson uh, keeps coming. So Chris gets out of the car, rolls on the street, and starts shooting. Uh, Watson retreats to his BMW and hides behind the door. Chris manages to to uh, empty his gun and hit uh, Watson in the hand. Uh, Watson panics, gets in his car, drives away, and heads for the hospital. Um, it, so it uh, this goes to trial, uh, and it's an all-black uh, jury in 2019, and they convict uh, Rennell Watson. Huh. Uh, and because of COVID, he is uh, Rennell Watson will be sentenced next month. So it's uh, two years after the shooting, he's finally going to get sentenced. He faces life in prison. He'll probably get 20-some years. Uh, but uh, I mention this because not only... I, I mean, here's a guy, FBI agent, sitting on the street, yeah. uh, minding his own business, not even, you know, not realizing he's outside uh, this, this house uh, where uh, the perpetrator's mother lived, actually, uh, and somebody tries to murder him. Uh, I mean, this is the kind of world we live in today, so yeah. we, we better be very careful, uh, you know, when we're trying to reform the police not to throw, the, you know, the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. Well, I must say, we live in Collier County in uh, Florida, so it's refreshing to live in Florida. But number two, uh, there, there's law and order in Collier County. And by that, I mean nobody can get out of a parking ticket. Nobody can get out of a speeding ticket. I mean, it is, you know, you break the law, you're going to pay here in Collier County. That's the way it should be. And the consequence is we have low crime, and we have happy people, people with smiles on their faces, feeling a sense of security that they were going to be protected if something goes awry. Well, uh, the other point is that there, you know, you know crime is, the shootouts in black communities are just, uh, you know, on the level of a, of a war. Yeah. And you have to remember that there are people in those communities that, are, that want law and order. Uh, that support the police. Yeah, you know the color of your skin does not determine whether or not uh, you support or do not support the police. They support good policing, and uh, so there's a huge part of our population that is being victimized uh, by these, uh, you know, gun-toting bandits just running amok. I yeah, mean, well, you know, you pick up the Chicago paper in broad daylight on the weekend. It's uh, it's like Dodge City. Right, and uh, some people say, well, let the uh, black people are discriminated against. Well, you know what? If you take a look at those crimes that were perpetrated, got a lot of publicity. In each case, uh, the perpetrator resisted arrest and uh, 
you know, one thing, I don't know about you, but if I get stopped by the police and I've been stopped for speeding or that kind of thing, uh, you know, it, I'm frightened. <laughs> I've got both hands on my both my hands on my on the wheel, and I'm being very cooperative and so forth. I don't know why the primer can't go out to all people saying, "Look, if you're st- they're in a dangerous situation too. The police are when they make a stop. Bad things can happen for them as well. Is just be cooperative. Do what they say. You know, it's it's your uh, a minute and a half or two minutes where you just have to to uh, subordinate your interests and thoughts to to what's going on. Yeah, I mean it is frightening to be be pulled over and not know why. But but again, your you know behavior matters, personal responsibility matters. Yeah. So so I agree with you uh, completely. People have to take a deep breath, exhale, and cooperate. Um, and you know I can understand why the the, the fear mechanism kicks in uh, for black people. Well, um, yeah, and it might be hard to. Um, to resist that, uh, what is it, the uh, fight or flight, yeah. to, to flee. Uh, but, but to your point, uh, cooperation at that point is uh, utmost. And if you are um, you know, being unjustly stopped, you can address it in the courts later with an attorney. Absolutely. So uh, I derailed the conversation a little bit because I, I, I think it was Chris as the son. Uh, how's his health? What happened? Well, he's um, he he just received the uh, FBI's uh, highest award for valor, and he's back on duty, which I find phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, because if if somebody almost killed me on the street, uh, I would uh, have uh, retired gracefully. Oh, the amazing thing is too, you know, he's FaceTiming with his wife. He he he's in the shootout. She's still on the FaceTime. And afterwards, as he's bleeding there, he says to his wife, please call 911. I've been shot. Uh, I'm hurt badly. So she called 911. And and, uh, the the police arrived. They took him to a hospital. And it just so happened that uh, he had uh, a trauma surgeon who was uh, familiar with gunshot wounds and, and Holding him through. Yeah, so, that's, but he's back on duty with the FBI. You talk about courage. It's, it's amazing. That is a great story indeed, Jim. And uh, your your personal interest and, uh, and attach it, or because you have the relief, I, I take it the guy that your your neighbor's a friend, so uh, you must be relief for him as well. Oh, he is a he is a friend, and he's a, he's very you know rightfully proud of his son. Um, yeah, and it's still a mystery why this. Uh, um, Watson fellow shot at shot at Chris in the first place. You yeah. know what motivated it? It, it was just uh, well, he's a member of the Crips. Just, <laughs> he's a member of the yes. Crips. He's a bad guy. So hey, yes, Jim, I just really appreciate you bringing attention to this important issue, man. It's just so important that uh, everyone respect the law. And uh, yeah, there's bad cops out there, but they'll inevitably, of course, it's uh, police unions that get in the way of uh, getting those folks out of. Uh, out of service, but nevertheless, uh, they're, they're far and few between. So you need to, we need to be cooperative, not only, no matter what color of skin you have. Jim McTagg, again, author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. You write, writing any more books, Jim? Yeah, I'm writing a sequel to Shake the Money Tree. Uh, but since I've moved, it's, uh, it's put, put on hold for a couple months, but I hope to have it done by Christmas. It's called No Problem. And, um, uh, it's the third book in the series. Yeah, well, and, 
I'll look, I'll look forward to the read again, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We made it through. Nobody died, <laughs> which is great. Uh, pretty exciting for me, actually. Uh, on tomorrow's show, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll also visit with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Seat Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. He'll be joining us, as well as my wife, Linda, who writes Greetings from Paradise. She'll be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.